Man, man. Whew! Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, Hunter. Good morning, church. How's everybody? Doing all right? I uh, I did not realize that I was going to be baptizing Bob Dylan this morning. Um, how about harmonica on that song? Man, I have not heard that before. Great job, Mark. Team. Wow. Mm. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off last week uh, in the book of Habakkuk, uh, a book that I know many of you uh, traffic in in a regular on a regular basis. Um, we're in this series called "Really God," and uh, we're going to pick up uh, with Habakkuk the prophet. Uh, again, Habakkuk is at the very end of the Old Testament, so if you've got your Bibles with you or uh, you want to look that up on your phone, uh, the very end of the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets, uh, his neighbors there are Nahum and Zephaniah. Um, and it's kind of hard to, to navigate those minor prophets there. They're easy to skip over. But if you can find him, go ahead and put your finger there. Uh, we're moving literally verse by verse through this book. Today is the second um, message in a series of three. And it, So if you weren't here last week or you just need a little bit of a refresher, uh, around 600 B.C., is is the time frame that we're looking at here. The nation of Judah, which is the uh, the southern kingdom of Israel, um, was in a moral freefall. Uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, called Israel itself, had already fallen. The southern kingdom now was in the process of uh, just turning away from God. Habakkuk was a prophet uh, for the king of Judah during this period of time. He's surrounded by corruption. He's surrounded by violence. He's surrounded by injustice. We talked about that. He talked about that as he shook his fist at God in what we covered last week in chapter 1. He cries out to God as he knows that there is a vicious enemy the Babylonians that are sweeping across the Middle East. They have just overtaken the Egyptians, and, 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 and that was something that nobody thought could ever happen. And he knew that they were coming toward Judah. And so Habakkuk is honest to God with his questions. That is probably really the theme of this entire book, these three chapters, is how honest and raw and real Habakkuk was willing to be with his creator and sovereign God. But he's honest with God. He's honest with the questions that he has, the why questions, questions that we all have, honestly when we survey the world around us. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Just this week, why do innocent children die in hurricanes? Really, God? Four sisters and their husbands perishing senselessly in a limousine accident? Ten more of their family members also dying in this one accident, going to a family member's birthday party. Really, God? Where are you? Why does evil seem to have the upper hand? That's what Habakkuk was struggling with some 2,600 years ago, known as theodicy. 
How can a good and loving and all-powerful God allow evil to prosper, it would seem, in this world? And we still have those questions today. Habakkuk says to God in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Referring to the Babylonians here who were coming his way. They would soon destroy Jerusalem, all of Judah. They would destroy the temple as had been prophesied earlier. Destroy it completely. After shaking his fist at the Lord, we left Habakkuk last week, if you'll remember, standing watch, looking and listening for the Lord's reply. He didn't just ask these difficult questions in anger and turn his back on God and walk away. He stationed himself on the ramparts waiting for God's reply. The prophets of Israel were often referred to as watchmen, those who stood patiently and attentively watching and waiting for God's revelation to the people. That's what they were called to do. From Jeremiah to Ezekiel to Daniel, even in the midst of war, in the midst of famine, drought, and destruction, the prophets waited faithfully to hear a word from the Lord. They suffered, yet they trusted. They questioned, yet they stayed the course. They expected to hear from God. And so they were patient, and God always responded. Seldom on their timetable, and seldom on ours. You know, our problem today and and throughout history really is that we demand answers from God. We demand answers from God now, and we give ultimatums. God, this didn't turn out the way I thought it should. Why? You didn't fix it. It doesn't make sense to me, God, from what I would expect from you. You didn't take this away. And it hurts. Why, God? We demand answers. And we give ultimatums. We say, God, if you're not going to fix this, if you're not going to do it the way that I think it should be done, then I'm done with you. I'm done with your church. I'm done with your people. And I tell you, I cannot tell you how many people I have seen walk away from God, walk away from from the church, walk away from God's people because their circumstances didn't make sense to them. And God did not respond the way they thought God should have responded. So they walk away. That's what was going on with the nation of Judah. They had turned their backs on God and turned to idols instead of God. You know, our problem today is we're accustomed to same-day delivery. We're an Amazon culture. Instantaneous answers. Text, Snapchats, Instagrams. 
But God stands outside of all that. And he moves his plan forward at his own pace. And his pace is not our pace. And more often than not, it requires us to watch and to wait. And in response to Habakkuk's questions to the Lord, God God replies in chapter 2, which is where we're going to focus today. Chapter 2, verse 2. God says this in response to the questions, the hard questions that Habakkuk has thrown to him. He says this to the prophet. He says, write down the revelation. In other words, here it comes. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. They didn't have Facebook back then. And so they did things a little bit differently. This is literally the way the word got around. And so when God would would give a pronouncement, when God would give a revelation, they would write it on tablets and they would post it literally in the public square. The prophet would. And then heralds would come and they would read it and they would take that revelation from town to town to town. And that's how God's word and revelation moved among the people. So he says, write this down. Make it plain. Put it in big letters on tablets so that a herald can run with it. He says, for the revelation, God's revelation of himself, awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. He said, it will surely come. Those are God's words to Habakkuk, and those are God's words to each of us this morning. Wait for it. It will surely come. What are you waiting for? today where do you feel like God's not met your needs where do you feel like God has treated you unfairly what has not come to pass that you had hoped would come to pass Habakkuk wants to know why the Babylonians this ruthless bunch this godless enemy is being allowed to overrun and destroy God's people God's people who had turned their back on him. In God's economy where there is sin, there is judgment. There can be no justice, as we talked about last week, without judgment. And so God is allowing Babylon to execute that judgment. It's mind-blowing to us. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we want to shy away from that aspect of God's character that he would allow this brutal horde to run through his people to exercise judgment on them. But God is serious about what he calls us to do and who he calls us to be. As his people, he has expectations of us. That by faith we would follow him and we would surrender our lives fully to him. In this era of grace, he has the expectation that we would surrender our lives fully to the gift that he has given us in Jesus Christ who has taken upon himself the judgment that was ours. Every warning, every woe, every promise, every purpose of God will come to pass 
Whatever God allows in our lives, he allows ultimately to work for our good. Never forget that. Romans 8:28. Babylon represents evil throughout the scripture. Represents the evil that surrounds us in this world even today. It represents the unfairness, the un- injustice, the violence, the corruption, the cruelty that we look at God and we go, really God? Where are you? This whole thing seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. Where are you? Babylon in Habakkuk's day represents that evil, that enemy that surrounds us even today. It will have its run, as Babylon had its run. But in the end, God is sovereign, and He will prevail. Though it linger, wait for it. It will surely come. That was his word to Habakkuk, and that is his word to us today. Especially as you survey your circumstances and find no reason to rejoice. If heartache and pain are dominating your days... Though it linger, wait for it. Stay on the wall. Keep looking. Keep listening for Him. Stay the course with God. This revelation from God, like so many others given to the prophets, is a double vision, if you will. It's a vision that will transpire in Habakkuk's day, and it's also a prophecy of what will come to pass at the end of days. Almost all of the visions, almost all of the the prophecy that we see with the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, they're almost all double visions. There's an application for the prophet's day, and then there's an application for the end of of times and, and Habakkuk's vision here is no exception. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It's a message for those of us in the middle. Those of us who are waiting. Those of us who have been justified or declared not guilty By the cross of Christ, God's gavel has fallen because of what Christ has taken upon himself and declared us not guilty. We move from that place of being justified as not guilty before the Father into a process of justification, of becoming more and more like Christ Jesus until we are glorified, until we are made as he is perfect. That is salvation. It's a threefold process. Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the middle. I'm in the middle. And we wait. The question is, do we wait faithfully with our eyes on Him? In the words of the late, great Tom Petty, the waiting is the what? It's the hardest part. Got some old rockers in here. 
One Sunday, I get a Bob Dylan reference and a Tom Petty reference. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Man, the waiting. I don't care what it is. At the grocery store? Well, we can't wait. Oh, the express. I mean, you got 12 items. Man, it's a 10-item. Di- I'm in a hurry. And the waiting is the hardest part. This deal of being in the middle and waiting for Jesus to return or, or, or to, to give up the ghost here and to go meet him, man, that's the hardest part. We're tempted to turn our backs. I'll tell you what, I, I, I sat at Emory Hospital uh, a lot this week, um, and I sat with uh, Jackie McMillan, um, a lot of you I know know Jackie. Uh, her son Buck, her son, her husband uh, Buck was one of the founding elders here, and they were founding partners here at Tapestry. Uh, Buck suffered from uh, colon cancer for years, and you talking about waiting well, um, suffering in the middle. He did a, a remarkable uh, job with that. Um, an inspiration to us all. Um, well, Jackie, who usually sits right beside a Faye right here, um, was at Emory Hospital this week. I sat there with her, her and her kids all day uh, on Wednesday. She had a procedure scheduled for early uh, Wednesday morning. She's been having uh, severe headaches since uh, since before Buck passed away. Um, and they haven't been able to get to the bottom, just debilitating daily headaches, haven't been able to get to the bottom of it. Finally, they, they got to the bottom of it and found some abnormalities uh, on the surface of her brain, and, and they were going to go in um, first uh, through an arterial process, a less invasive process, on Wednesday and, uh, and try to take care of that. Um, so we sat at Emory, um, and I mean, that's an anxiety provoking type of deal. You know, I'm about to, somebody's about to go into my brain and uh, do some things I don't really understand, and supposedly uh, I might be okay, you know. Um, so we're sitting there, and, and, you know, Jackie was as calm as she could be, uh, and then they come and they tell us that her procedure was going to be delayed because they had to bring in an emergency stroke patient. Uh, into the room, the operating room that she was going to be in, and they would keep us posted. So we waited for six hours um, and really got very little word. I mean, you know, so she's waiting on this this procedure. Um, and uh, and then at the end of that period, we were told, you know, should be about another 45 minutes or so. 45 minutes past, they come in and tell us that uh, another patient, emergency patient, had come in, and she was going to have to wait even longer. Um, our vote was they get more doctors, but, um, you know, these things happen. Um, but I tell you what, I don't think I have ever seen anybody wait as well as Jackie did. With that kind of thing looming, you know, I I don't know how well I would have waited. Uh, But, you know, having been through all that she went through with Buck, um, those of you who walked with her saw that, um, years and years and years of uh, him fighting cancer, her right by his side, now a widow. She's learned to trust God. 
in the wait. All those things that, man, God, don't let this happen to me. Lord, oh no, don't let this happen to me. All those things that we don't want in our life just fell down around her. And yet God used that to mold her, to shape her, to bring her to a place of surrender, to a place of being able to wait well. Then after an eight-hour delay, they called her back. She had the procedure, and it was unsuccessful. They, they couldn't get the, the, the uh, instrument into the place in the brain that they needed to get it into because the vessels are so small in that area. So they told us, uh, and we knew this was a possibility, they told us the next day they would have to go the more invasive route, um, which was Thursday. They would have to do a craniotomy and go physically into her brain, something we all wanted to avoid. And so naturally, in those moments, man, you're going, man, God, she'd been through a lot. Why? Why this? Why more? Two hours after the surgeon came out of the craniotomy, um, or two hours uh, after she went in, the surgeon came out from doing the craniotomy, and these were his exact words. He said, we were able to cure the problem. They never say that. You never hear a doctor say cure. He said, we were able to cure the problem. And just another reminder that when things look like they're going from bad to worse, from our perspective, God is still in control. He is still in control. He has not forgotten us, and He has not forsaken us. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Jackie was moved out of ICU yesterday and is on the road to recovery. Keep praying for her, though. Let me ask you something. How well are you waiting? I mean, we don't wait well for some of the most trivial things in life. How well... Are you waiting? God tells Habakkuk that evil will have its way for a season. (laughs) That the Babylonians will execute judgment on God's nation for their sin. And certainly Habakkuk, you know, he's just taking all this in. He's confused, as we often are. But he responds by saying this in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on. He said, wait a minute, I don't get this. What's going on? I know who you are. And he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate this wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And so Habakkuk lays this before God as if there were levels of unrighteousness. As if there were levels of of sin. Well, I'm a lot better person than that guy, and he seems to have everything go well for him. Are you? Am I? The scripture tells us that there is none righteous, not even one. Not the Israelites, not the Babylonians, not you or I. 
There are no levels, degrees of sin in God's eyes. He is perfectly holy. And that's what Habakkuk is slowly coming to realize in this revelation. But then God says to Habakkuk and to the generation that will follow, including our own, He says this concerning the Babylonians. He says, see the enemy is puffed up. Look at them, they're taking over kingdom upon kingdom. Their desires are not upright. He says, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live, not by their works, not by what they do. None of us are good enough for God. But the righteous shall live by faith. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken our punishment, taken our judgment upon himself, that we might be reconciled to a sovereign God. God goes on to tell Habakkuk that his ultimate justice and victory over evil will prevail, as will those who live by faith in him. And that's his message to us today. The enemy will be defeated. That all will be made right for those who walk by faith and not by sight. Where are you tempted to throw in the towel this morning? To turn your back on God. To quit believing. To question His character. Man, don't give up. Don't give in. In the end, the faithful win. In the end, the faithful win. Stay the course. We've got the book, man. We know where this story goes. God allows evil to correct and redirect His people. We don't understand it, but we see it clearly throughout the Scripture. He allowed it then and He allows it now. And as difficult as that is to swallow, it is crystal clear that that's the way He operates. That's the way he must operate in a fallen and broken world. Babylon is referred to as God's hammer of judgment, God's sword of discipline. But ultimately he brings his people back from captivity and he destroys the evil that is Babylon completely. It's a picture of our enemy today. And the captivity that he tries to bring us into and the victory that Christ has over him. God goes on to pronounce five woes on Babylon that end in their ultimate destruction. Chapter 2, verse 16, says, You, speaking of Babylon, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Speaking to our enemy, the devil, now it's your turn. The cup which always represents the judgment of God in the Old Testament. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The enemy will not prevail. That prophecy would come to pass with Daniel's handwriting on the wall, if you'll remember. And some 40 years after they took the people of God, the Babylonians, into exile, They would be destroyed by King Cyrus and the Persians. And the first thing that King Cyrus would do when he destroyed Babylon and took over their kingdom was to release the Jews to return to Jerusalem. 
so that they could rebuild their temple. Though it linger, wait for it. Chapter 2 concludes with this declaration. A reminder of God's sovereignty. Verse 20. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Make no mistake about it. Regardless of what you see, God is in control. He sees the end from the beginning and all things work together for the good of those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. God's ultimate justice and victory over evil will prevail as will those who live by faith in Him. I love the way Boyd Bailey put it in his new book. He said, Our hope may be deferred, but God is still good. Amen? Our hope may be deferred, but God is still good. And if you haven't signed up for Boyd's Lunch with us in a couple of weeks, make sure you do. It's going to be fantastic. He's going to be walking us through several chapters uh, of his book in person. Now, we're in this thing for the long haul. Don't forget that. In the end, the faithful win. Though it linger, wait for it. Where is it lingering for you right now? Listen to Paul's words to the Philippians. Essentially, these words of Paul are a message for those of us in the middle. He says this, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, don't miss that, He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Though it linger, (laughs) wait for it. Our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our ultimate victory. He is the one who has taken our judgment upon himself, setting us free from the penalty of sin and death. He is the one who has promised to return, bringing everything under his control. And so like Habakkuk, keep watch and wait for all to be made right. Stay the course. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge in in these earth suits and in the flesh that we live in, Lord, we don't wait well. And Lord, we misinterpret so much around us and And apply it to your character wrongly. Father, help us to be a people who learn to wait well. A people who learn to trust well. A people who are fully surrendered to you regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And Lord, a people who are willing to press forward in faith. 
God, I pray for those who have specific circumstances in their lives this morning, uh, difficulties that, uh, Lord, sometimes are unimaginable and, and hard to comprehend. But Father, I pray that even in the midst of that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would bring a peace, would bring a calm, would bring a focus on you and an understanding, Lord, that you are sovereign and that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And as much as it hurts and as, as difficult as it is, Lord, you have called us to trust you in the middle, trust you in the midst of it. Lord, it's easy to stand up here and say that and to pray that. But Lord, to live it is another thing. But you have promised us that you've given us absolutely everything that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, we claim that promise this morning as we wait in the middle. And we claim it in Jesus' name. Amen.